0: Welcome to the Made for People podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me as my co-host on this series is Kirsten Mann. Kirsten spends a lot of her time with other product management executives, and she's taken the opportunity to interview them and bring to you the stories about how they're made for people, how the projects that they're working on are made for people, and how also the outcomes that they're creating are made for people. But enough of me. Over to Kirsten. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting to Robin Simon, Chief Product Officer for Classifieds, Marketplaces, and Ventures at Media, the leading private media group in Switzerland. Hello, Robin. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Robin works for T-Media, and for our global listeners who might not have heard of that name before, it's actually very well-known in Europe. Now, Maybe one of the products that people have been exposed to is Doodle out of everything, right? But you've got so many products under the umbrella name. Can you kind of describe some of the vertical segments that you're catering to?
1: Yeah, happy to do so. So basically, most of our companies are in the marketplace classified space. So we have in Switzerland, we have most of the market leaders in, um, for example, in, in jobs, in, in real estate, um, general classifieds, we have the number two in, um, in uh, used cars. And... Um, and internationally, we have um, a broader um, setup. So we have next to doodle which is uh, probably based on usage. It's probably the biggest uh, um, platform we have. Um, um, but we have, for example, Zatu, which is a, um, a TV streaming platform. It's, it's very known in Germany. Um, we have companies in Denmark, another classified, fashion classified company. We have uh, companies in Luxembourg, in Austria. And in, uh, we, we actually even bought a, a tiny company in Israel, um, they're called Meken, it's an, an, a scheduling bot, so we integrate that into Doodle. So we're all over Europe, but our focus was very heavily on Switzerland um, in the last years, but it's changing now. We're, we're looking heavily um, all over Europe for, for new opportunities. In the last, I don't know if it's seven or eight years, we. You can barely, or can You can basically see we have sort of the same revenue, which looks like we're stagnating, but we're not. We changed seventy percent of our revenues where it comes from, so the source mm. of the revenue. So we um, did actually a very strong pivot over the last years, and it seems to be working so far. So
0: seventy percent now in digital versus print, where it used to be the reverse way around eight years ago.
1: No, it's basically it's 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 almost fifty fifty. But um, we changed also in publishing. A lot of it is now coming from
0: digital publishing.
1: So. Right. Um, A lot has happened in the last years.
0: Okay, so we'll explore that model a bit more as well. Okay. But you've had a really interesting rise at ToMedia too. If I look at your history, and it's not completely surprising in the sense that your earlier start of the careers, your career seemed to be quite entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. like you were doing a mm-hmm. lot of startups and things. Mm-hmm. And then you've almost done a bit of an entrepreneurial ship at ToMedia as well. I so, did. can you kind of give us some of your career highlights in that journey? Right after university,
1: I had the chance to go to Switzerland and work for a startup. Um, these guys were looking for someone who knew a little bit about business, photography, and technology. And that was basically what I did during my university years. And so those were two designers and two um, uh, developers. And I joined them. They gave me shares of the company, a horrible salary. We built up the company. It's still existing. It's tiny, but I'm super proud it's still existing. And out of this sort of the next startup happened. And then the next one, the next one. I, over the years, I figured out what I like doing is building up stuff.
0: So so you came to Tamedian and what made you stay then? Because you've been here over five years now.
1: Exactly. So after nine years of building up startups, I I decided I'd take a year off. Um, Just hang around, make some music, you know, the the basic. And then I was actually going to work for a VC. Um, Do the same thing as I did before, but on the other side. Give the money, not take the money and spend it. (laughs) And then I heard about and They were looking for someone who helped building up the deal flow. And um, the opportunity there was a lot about building up again. So I thought, well, why not try that? Mm-hmm. And so I joined the media um, and it was um, surprisingly fun. I never worked for a corporate before. We have this uh, very humorous culture here. So that uh, seemed to be a match. And I built up the deal flow um, with our head of m um, and and then quickly moved um, towards a position called head of product innovation. It was this fancy name. No one knew exactly <laughs> what I was supposed to do, but I was always loud and kicking indoors uh, regarding product. And so I did that for a few years. Um, and now for the last 12 months, I'm in this uh, CPO role. And um, I have a team of uh, UX designers, product managers, and so on. We help our companies grow. I'm in the board of a few companies. And so that's, that's where I'm now.
0: So that's a really interesting transition as well, because people always... Interested in how do you go through different roles into product leadership roles, and I suppose what what do you think is the difference in terms of what you were doing as head of product and UX in some ways to now being the chief product officer? What's changed for you?
1: I think not so much. It's uh, basically a lot more responsibilities I have. Mm-hmm. So in a corporate, um, usually you need to um, at least in 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 Switzerland and Germany you you build up trust over time. I think in, in, uh, in the US, it's the other way around. You start with trust and you can lose it. Here, you build up the trust. So it takes a while until you get to the next stage. And I'm not a classic product manager, so I never studied anything in that, um, in that way, but um, I learned it by doing. So when, mm-hmm. when I build up startups, I was always the one who was supposed to come up with, what do we do? That's how I learned it. I failed, I, I had some good ideas, and that's how I got into it. But I'm more the um, managing product manager, I would say.
0: And it's, I suppose that in itself is interesting what you said. I didn't come through as classically trained. And I don't think a lot of people do into That's product true, management. Yeah. They're from all different disciplines. Mm-hmm. But what do you think were the skills from that earlier career you mentioned in terms of being able to solve problems and, and mm-hmm. think was one? What are some of the other skills you think were critical for you to being able to end up in the role you are now? <laughs> and are you, uh, apart from <laughs> humour.
1: <laughs> I, th- I just want to say, I think it's uh, humour is actually quite important. Uh, it opens up doors and yeah. uh, it also um, uh, makes it easier in conversation and in, in meetings to come up with the new ideas because if you get people to laugh it's it's hard for them to say no later on (laughs) but uh i think it's my drive i believe so i i'm not a perfect researcher i'm not a perfect designer i'm not the you know the developer or so on i can i can do parts of that but i think where it comes together is i understand all these roles quite Mm well and i can really push people to do their best.
0: You talked about Temedia's journey from being, you know, in print to almost being a digital native now in a lot of ways. Um, so they seem to understand the whole concept with digital products. Does this make it easier for you as a product leader because you don't have to educate your fellow executive and um, potentially the board? Is is that made it easier in terms of their understanding, or what are the challenges that come when people have those expectations?
1: So I would say Tamedia is on a good path, but we're not yet a really good product and UX company. We're, we are we're a lot better than we used to be, but um, we're still we still have a long way to go. I would say, and so um, if I. If I look at my work regarding um, stakeholders, so if I'm talking to the portfolio companies, the CPOs, they the CEOs, um, they're all very much, um, under, they all do very much understand how important it is and they build up their own teams and, and we're very much aligned. If I'm talking about um, upwards, the board and so on, there is still... Um, I think we still have to get better um we still are very much corporate in terms of we do a um, you know five to ten year planning including product which is you cannot do that of course you, you know each day can be different you need to um to figure out what the user wants uh, um, tomorrow not in, in 10 years if you build something today and so um i think there we still need to get better but but the the will is there,
0: and that's the important part. And and that's really interesting in itself, right, where you're saying about traditional business models can often constrain product because it's so much about responding and experimenting with the now, with customers, versus saying, what's that that look like in 10 years' time? Who actually knows? So what are the techniques and things you're doing to educate that executive and board level around that this is all really about managing behaviour, and we don't know? We have to learn as we go in some ways.
1: That's a tricky question. I don't think I'm managing or I'm trying to teach. Um, they <laughs> they might say say different, but I think it's a lot of just talking about it. The more you talk about it, the more examples you give, the more um, you actually can show little projects where it worked. Even if it was a tiny project where you just worked on the UI and you have a, I don't know, 2% conversion increase, you show, hey... Wait, there's something something behind it. It seems to be working. And then um, it opened up doors. And if, after a while, you basically um, just get the responsibility to do things. And uh, you don't have to explain yourself anymore. And I think that's the way I'm trying to push it here. If you try to teach too much, if you try to be the manager about these things, I, I believe you you know, run against walls, not doors.
0: Yeah, people want to see that action basically come from yeah. there. Yeah. Now, Mark Bergen and I have been interviewing um, design and product leaders from around the world as part of the Design in the Boardroom series and discussing how organisations are working to create a better future. Now, as part of this is sharing how product and design leaders are helping their, custom- their organisations become truly customer and user-centric. So, as Chief Product Officer, what mechanisms are you using to take your organisation on this journey, and get them to really understanding the users and customers that they're serving. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I would like to make a, a quick definition. Um, we have a board at Tamedia mm-hmm. managing the port, the the, the, the mothership, I might <laughs> say, and we have boards with all the portfolio companies we own. And I'm in the board of uh, a few of these um, um, classified companies, and um, they're basically. Um, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, first of all, always try to bring in the, the, the customer perspective. Um, and how do you do that? Um, always raise my voice. Mm-hmm. Always raise my I think it's a lot about just talking about it. It's, it's what, I, what I meant before. And, um, but, but I mean, to be honest, uh, most people in these boards are digital people and mm-hmm. they don't need education. It's just sometimes we fall into this typical um, business decision kind of trap um, and forget about you know, talking about the user, um, so I always raise that point. But I'm what I'm what I'm doing hands on is I have this uh, uh, product and UX team. I call it Pux. I'm very creative, <laughs> and and uh, it's it's a team of uh, of super professional UX designers, researchers, product managers, and so on. And um, they go into the companies and support them, like an agency or well, like an internal agency. And with that, actually, we have the biggest um, success of, uh, of of pushing, you know um, understanding what a user needs these days.
0: Right, so you're you're almost like a um, SWAT team that go in and and do they have existing teams, product teams as yes. well? And so you're kind of supplementing those guys and helping them exactly. hone their crafts in some ways.
1: There are there are several reasons why we started to build up this or we decided to build up this agency. One is uh, um, it's hard for the companies to find the right talent. We're competing here in Zurich with uh, Google and Facebook and all these companies. Um, and so if you are a very good product manager and you have to, you know, the the choice between um, a, a small smaller classified and, and the, uh, Google, um, often they decide for Google for the name. Um, in my case, um, we have the central team here. So um, um, at least I can say, hey, you're going to work for 50, 60 brands. And um, there are brands like Doodle involved, also international brands and so on. And so it seems we have um, um, a good not a competitive advantage, but we can compete with these companies. So I, um, I, I I like to think we, and that's why we have these these really good professional people in this uh, POX team. That's one thing. The second is we have uh, always ups and downs, peaks and valleys in product management, oh, and in product design. And so um, you don't need that um, UX researcher 100% all the time. You might need it to 20%, 150%, and so on. And so with this team, we have the chance to offer our companies that they, you know, fill these gaps. Exactly.
0: That's a really interesting model as well. So you're almost like an internal agency. Um, we
1: are. We actually charge for our services,
0: right? And but keep the IP within yes. the company as well. Yes. And do you use external agencies as well? Like any of the the key players, or you kind of have built up that IP and keep it internally?
1: So our companies can choose whoever they want to work with. They're not forced to work with us. Um, and um, for some projects, they do use um, external agencies, and we actually all support that. If, if there's an agency that's better or have, uh, has, a, has more um, uh, knowledge than we do, why shouldn't they work with them? Um, but the advantage with working with us, and it seems to be, um, uh, it seems to be working, is that um, you know the people you're working with, and they stay with Intermedia. So it's not like you do that project and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other advantage is we're super honest. So if we believe that's not a good idea, what you're trying to achieve here, we just say that. We fight for what we believe. And an agency usually doesn't go that far no. because they lose a client if they go too far. And they're
0: getting paid anyway.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's, it's a very interesting model. Like, How did this come about? How did you actually create this model?
1: Well, the first step was I saw how many open positions we had. Um, I don't know, it was like 30, 40 open UX product positions at the same time out there for a month and they weren't filled. So I was thinking, well, I have a good network. I could find a couple of people to, you know, help us. That was the first idea we had. And then I discussed that with my boss and um, he said, well, then employ a few and let's see what we can do. And that's how it started. And then um, it started with four people in in, in the first three months. And then uh, six months later, we had 10 and now we're getting close to 15, but I don't want to build it up too big. So we want to still be the special team.
0: I love the movement that we're seeing in the industry to um, value outcomes over outputs. Has this affected the way that you guys create product in this company in the way that you approach um, your prioritization and, and roadmaps and the teams that you work with? Or were they already very outcome driven?
1: I would say we get there more and more. Mm -hmm. So it also depends heavily on the company that we're talking about. We have some companies that are very traditional still. Um, they're super happy to get um, product and UX support, but they're still far from the, um, uh, building products in a way you should these days. We have other companies, there's like Doodle, for example. They don't need much of our help. They have a super good UX product team. We help them sometimes with uh, research, but they're very much um, uh, user-centric.
0: As you've explained, there's a plethora of products and things that are under the to-media banner. Um, how do you see yourself, or do you moving to uh, one platform, do you ever see that happening and having like a consolidated experience for customers and users or you see them continuing down the separate product path?
1: That's a good question. We're thinking about this a lot. Uh, This is every year. It's a a topic we think about. Um, It has a lot of disadvantages and advantages, of course. The advantage is definitely on the business side. Um, you, you can cut costs, you have synergies and so on. And it might also be an advantage for the user because you, you have maybe one platform or at least, uh, um, you know, uh, maybe a, a joint messaging or whatever system that helps. On the other hand, the more you centralize, you take away um, responsibilities from the teams in those companies and they are very different in their culture. So a, a HomeGate, our real estate platform, has a completely different uh, culture than, I might say, Tutti, for example, our, our general classified company. And if you start combining these, you lose that. I don't know if it's going to be better or worse, but mm. you lose that. And that's a big risk you gotta ta- you're got to you taking if you do that. So um, um, I actually cannot give you the, the answer what we're going to do because we don't know yet. Mm. We're thinking about it and we're, we're going through different uh, ideas there, but uh, no decision.
0: Tell me about a company beside yourself that, <laughs> beside what you're doing here, that you think has really nailed the experience and you can't use somebody like Amazon or Apple, but that, you know, one that's created great product and great customer service and, and why do you th- think they're doing it well?
1: Well, there's a company in, in Switzerland I like to mention, they're, they're called Digitech. Um, they sell like everything that's, that's electronic from, from computers to, to um, hair dryers. And um, it starts with their advertising. So their advertising basically shows a product, and it shows a one-star rating, and it says, um, this is the worst thing I've ever seen, or whatever. Um, some are, have the five-star rating, but they show just random um, products. And it basically gives you the feeling. You go there, they have everything, but they're super honest about it. They are not lie to you. And that's, I think, where product starts, in the communication. Um, they do a pretty good job in this, for example. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, it's also big, but I'm a big fan of MailChimp, again, because of the communication. Um, they're super quick in, in um, also responding if you have any issues.
0: So a key thread there was communication. And do you think that's really one of the key things in product, to be able to understand who and how you're communicating?
1: I think communication is super important because there is not the perfect product out there. So every product has advantages, disadvantages for some people they love a certain product. Others don't like it. But if you communicate these things, mm-hmm. if you communicate these things, if you're actually um, um, pointing out the mistakes or the errors in your platform, if you're saying, I think, um, isn't it isn't it Minecraft that actually has a little button on the bottom and they say, um, use the current stable version or you can go to the buggy version and, and test it I love yes. that. That's That's how you communicate. Mm. And users know they're not stupid. They know that not everything is perfect and things can go wrong. If you talk about it, I think you have already a better product experience.
0: And I I completely agree with you and think communication is one of those secret sources that people haven't really understood in organizations. Why do you think there's so few specialists, though, in communication, in product roles? Like you rarely see that being specialized and, and elevated in product teams.
1: Well, communication also can do a lot of harm. I yes. So um if you you know if you talk too much about how bad your product is or what's go- what's going wrong um you might lose shareholders or whatever. So I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of companies are afraid of speaking out loudly or you've seen with Elon Musk who's very outspoken. Um he says a few things and suddenly the you know <laughs> there's there's some uh, some 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 uh how you call it Uh, stock prices going down. But um, I think the problem is we need to build up that knowledge and that skill over the years. So product management shouldn't just be about um, defining the product or coming up with the right product, but also learning how to communicate. I think it's a skill missing.
0: So there's a bit of contention around, uh, am I a design leader or am I a product leader? How do you see yourself?
1: Oh wow, I, I might I might get a lot of people being mad at me. I'm actually I don't care so much about this. For, mis- for me, this is just the words. I I care about what's what we actually get shipped. What's what's out there. And so, um, if if you call yourself a designer or a product leader, um, basically what I want to see is that we. Um, create an experience and a product that users actually use or that, that people, not just users, that people want to use, uh, also future users. So um, I'm, I'm a generalist.
0: So how do you think Tamedia's products can contribute to a better future?
1: <laughs> um, well, first of all, we're in um, classifieds and that's a lot of uh, use products um our our um generalists um the used car platform and so on so i think it's 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 part of the trend we see these days that we shouldn't just buy new stuff but also um uh, look at, uh, at at pre-loved uh items i think that's important the second part is um media is um is in in jobs is in real estate those are all very important parts of your life so i think it what we do matters um we haven't found the clue how to actually save the world but uh, i think uh Um, those Those are pretty good things we're doing there.
0: Thank you so much, Robin, for going through this today. And I think if you were thinking about ultimately what legacy you wanted to leave with media, what do you hope people remember about you in your product leadership role? Well,
1: I hope they remember me as slightly annoying but getting things done and also someone who made you laugh.